Welcome to a special summer episode of Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where we ask the question, is there anything more super than taking a dozen 16-year-olds on a 400-mile month-long bike ride? And the answer is that there's not. There's nothing more super. I'm Marissa Flaxbar, your host, and with me today is my very good friend, one of my oldest friends, not in age or like the year he was born, but in how long we've been friends, Alex Bishop. Hello, Alex. Hello. How are you? I'm hot. hot. <laughs> You're the one who moved to California, so no. I don't feel bad for you. Well, even though it's not actually hot here today, but even though we don't have our air conditioning turned on, there's still this like machine hum in this apartment. I think our neighbors must have it on. So sorry about that. Uh, as if the audio quality of the remote call were not poor enough. I'm sure there's also some sort of droning hum in the background. Rest assured, I am suffering in the heat of my apartment, even though it's only like 70 degrees outside. But what can I say? <laughs> so um, how, how appropriate for a book called Perfect Summer. Exactly. We are going to be discussing today the first ever super edition of the Sweet Valley High novels. Um, and it's called Perfect Summer. So the, the super editions, this is a whole line of books and I, I get to read the first one. You got to read the first one. And one thing that we learned, you and I, Alex, was that the super edition, it's not just a clever name. They're also super sized books. Uh, we had hoped to get this done when you were here in person and we were going to just casually cram in both reading the one copy of this book that I have and into like a three day vacation. And it was just not possible because this book is about twice as long as your average uh, Sweet Valley High novel. Which is perfect for the summer when, you know, you have more time to, to read and catch up on things. So I want to get into the meat of this book. Like, I'm, I genuinely enjoy reading it, and I am very awesome. excited about talking about it. Awesome. Me too. Well, the only thing that I want to say is that chronologically, this book takes place slightly out of where we are in the series. So there are a few things that... Um, are kind of happening in this book that uh, haven't like happened in the books that we've unpacked yet. So, I mean, like spoiler alert, like Roger Patman, but if that doesn't mean anything to you, we will, we'll talk about it later, you know, stay tuned for season two of uh, a Sweet Valley Diaries. So the conceit of any of the super editions is that they take place at a time kind of like out of the normal the normal time of Sweet Valley High. The other ones take place during like spring break or like Christmas break, like any time that they have a break from their usual school year. So that means uh, on the plus side that it gets to take the characters out of the school and doing something else. On the interesting side is that uh, the idea of having a summer break from Sweet Valley High is a pretty uh, like confusing prospect on the face of it because like this summer is going to be over, but then they're just going to go back to junior year of high school again. It's junior year forever. <laughs> so, so is this before or after the junior year? That's the question. I, I mean, it's gotta be after because stuff that happened during junior year happened in this book, but then I don't know. It's confusing. It's, it's a confusing question and it's like a koan, you know, like when is summer? In Sweden. Right. You know, you can ponder it mm -hmm. and never have an answer. 
<laughs> but also never a wrong answer. Or never a right answer. Just real quick on the cover of the book. We like to talk about the cover of the book on uh, here on Sweet Valley Diaries. Uh, okay. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on on this book cover, Alex? Well, so we have two uh, perfect pictures of beauty in the early 80s. Um, <laughs> the two twins are on the cover, I, I presume. Um, yeah, they're, right. they're both blonde, and they look like, I would say... 27 year old girls or actresses <laughs> who are playing teenage girls in like a, a high school made for TV movie. So as a little tease, I posted a picture of this book on my Instagram uh, at sweet Valley diaries on Instagram. And somebody commented that she loved the biking outfits, Meredith. <laughs> and um, someone else commented that it looks like Jessica's doing a deodorant ad. And I could not agree more. <laughs> <laughs> got her arm up over her head and um listeners anytime you're curious what these book covers look like i mean like google it but also if you go to the instagram i like i always post pictures of the books um because the book covers are like one of the greatest pleasures of this book series um well let's talk about what happens we had a little tease in the intro there about the bike trip right want to set this up for us alex uh, yeah, so the the premise of the the whole book is that several students from Sweet Valley High are going on uh, essentially a summer long, or I, I guess you had said a month long bike trip. That they're just gonna bike up and down the the hills and mountains of California. Yeah, the California all day house. every day for for weeks on end. Yeah, so it's it's they put that out like in the first page of the book, and you're like, what? <laughs> like they're doing what now? Because so it leads me to the first question is, is this a thing? Like, is this do, a thing is a great question. Do people just go on, do students, because they, they even meet other students from other bike trips. Like, yeah. of course, of course, everyone does bike trips in the summer. So it's like, it's like 10, 16 year olds. And who's there is, it's Elizabeth and Jessica. It's Olivia Davidson and Roger. It's Bruce, Lila, uh, Annie Whitman and some guy named Charlie Marcus, who I don't remember ever hearing of before, but he's like a jock. And then uh, Chrome Dome Cooper is the principal. Well, his nephew, Barry Cooper, is coming on this trip. At the very outset, there's some like question of like, maybe Barry will be sexy, but he's not sexy. Like, no, he's... Oh, there's definite intrigue, right? Ooh, we have the new... Ooh, there's another guy coming. Oh, my. Yeah, and like, then... No, he's... A the girls are all inevitably disappointed. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Um, and then and Courtney, who we'll talk about in a minute, but like, and then there are the two teachers, Nora Dalton and Mr. Collins, who are like the two young hip teachers, probably the only teachers at Sweet Valley that could like go on a bike ride like this, that would have like the physical stamina, but they used to date and now they're on the outs. So that's like built in drama, very smart move. Yeah. Drama intrigue, out. of course. Right. Of course, the two teachers who go on the trip are the ones who have like a, a history. Yeah. But so like I looked it up because they wind up in Big Sur. You know, we talk a lot on the show about speculation, you know, where is Sweet Valley? And mm -hmm. I am so excited to tell you that I think I have a real lead here because of this Ooh. book. So we know that they end up in Big Sur, which is like way the fuck up in Northern California, sort of, you know, it's, it's hundreds of miles away from LA. But their first stop is Los Angeles. So we know that they're riding their bikes north from Los Angeles or north, like from below Los Angeles. I, I don't know how I didn't see it before, Alex. Sweet Valley is in Orange County. It's in Orange County. Well, of course. Of, of course. course. 
I lived in Orange County for two years. It's it was Sweet Valley. It was totally Sweet Valley. Only more people of color. <laughs> well, it's you know some time has passed. Demographics have changed. Uh, okay, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> you're probably right. <laughs> I, I don't know a lot about Orange County circa 1983, but I'm guessing it was very different. So I'm really excited, everybody. I don't know exactly where Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, like something like that. Um, Sweet Valley. So yeah, it's like 400 miles from that area to, uh, to up to Big Sur. So, so this is an incredible distance for a bunch of high schoolers with no previous extensive bike riding experience <laughs> to just like hop on their probably not designed for long road trip bikes and just <laughs> scoot up the coast. Like, oh yeah, my mom said it'd be a good idea. So I'm going to bike 400 miles and then turn around and bike 400. It, it's insane. You're like in the first scene of the book, Jessica is trying to pass raw silk pants and elizabeth's like oh that's not really a good idea for a bike ride of any distance like no no like this is how much how little they know i don't think we've ever seen a character ride a bicycle in the entirety of this series up to now so right motorcycle yes bicycle no right and Um, we get some motorcycles in in this one as well which again we'll get to (laughs) so i guess it's important to note that the first stop is los angeles because there's a lot of time spent at the beginning of this book picking up this girl named courtney Mm, courtney yes yeah so courtney is the daughter of one of bruce patman's dad's friends and she's dating this really like punk kid named Nolan Rugger. So she's like a rich girl. She's a rich girl. She lives in Beverly Hills or something. And and she's dating this like punk kid that her dad wants to get her away from. And she's just awful. She's just and and our introduction to her is amazing. Okay, so the it's one of the first stops that the the bike trip actually makes. And they arrive at this house, and the the father like greets them very welcoming and you know takes them out back and shows them the pool where courtney is relaxing and she is just like the picture of dismissive spoiled rich um like california girl like very stereotypical she like ignores them she doesn't answer her father's like comments like say hi to them and she just like walks past him she knows that he wants to send her on this trip she's totally uninterested and then like Suddenly, she's going on the trip, and she's really sweet. She has this total about face. And nobody from Sweet Valley High is buying it. Like, everybody's – Courtney has proven that she's a total snob. She's worse than Lila Fowler. She's worse than the biggest snob at Sweet Valley High. But, like, they're not convinced by her new sweet girl attitude. Like, Elizabeth wants to give her the benefit of the doubt, but not really doing it. Jessica and Lila are, like, ready to come. They're, they're like, cooking up a scheme to try to get her sent home because she's having a Right. The, the, two, the two girls in Sweet Valley who know the most about, like, putting on a sweet face and, and fooling people know, you know, it takes one to know one. And they recognize right away that she is not what she is trying to be. Alex Bishop, you've been listening to my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there's one person who is buying uh, Courtney's act. Oh, my, is he? It breaks my heart. And I got to tell you, I have some pretty strong emotions about the way that he responds. We're, we're of course, talking about uh, about Todd. Todd Wilkins. So, Mm. Courtney... The, you know, this these books do this fascinating thing where they just let us in on everybody's inner monologue, just like left and right, mm-hmm. like back and forth. Mm-hmm. And Courtney um, writes a letter to Nolan, 
uh, early on in the book on page 69. And, and we need to take a quick pause to explain who Nolan is. So Nolan is Courtney's boyfriend. And uh, one quick scene that I, we, we kind of brushed over when, when we were first introduced to Courtney and she was being rude, stereotypical, um, spoiled brat by the pool Nolan like rides into the scene of her like rich backyard on a motorcycle. Her father is aghast, like, Oh, this guy again. And she like hops on the back of his motorcycle, I think in her bathing suit and just like wraps (laughs) her arms around him, ignoring her father, yelling at her to come back and just like rides off into the sunset. It's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And so, you know, we don't hear much about Nolan for the next like 20, 30 pages of the book. And then suddenly, like literally out of nowhere, like she's not even introduced. It's like um, Jessica is having a thought to herself, thinking about this boy she has a crush on, we'll talk about later. And then all of a sudden, we're, it's Dear Nolan. And I'm going to read this letter if you'll, if you'll bear with me, because I think it does a great job of setting up where, where Courtney's at. And, you know, she lets the reader in and the reader, so there's a, what's this called? Um, a dramatic irony is what it's called when we know something that the characters in the book do not know. Okay. Dearest Nolan, I'm holding my breath until I see you again. My plan is off to a good start, so it shouldn't be much more than a week, but even that is too long. I don't know how anyone can call this a vacation. It's more like boot camp. Work, work, work to get my bicycle up and down these hills all day, and then when we get to where we're going, more work. Shopping and cooking and cleaning chores around this two-bit joke of a hotel they call a youth hostel. In a half hour, for instance, I'll be cooking dinner for all these perfect little Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts who are supposed to be my new friends, and all with a sickeningly sweet smile on my face. It's enough to make a person scream. But it's worth it if it means I'll be seeing you soon. And there's no reason why I shouldn't be. Already, most of the little dears are warming up to me, and one in particular is going to make my whole plan possible. His name is Todd, and he's just the kind of boy you can bring home to meet Daddy, which is exactly what I intend to be doing very soon. Daddy thought Todd was a perfect gentleman, and when he hears about Todd and me, he's sure to forget all about his worries over that horrible Nolan Ruggers. Oh, darling, I miss you so much. And let me come right home. With Todd by my side, of course, but not to worry. We'll think of some good way to keep him out of our hair. The only hitch so far is Todd's girlfriend, Elizabeth, a shoe-in for Miss Teenage America, if ever I saw one. Anyway, it's a long letter, but there you go. That's Courtney. She's got a dastardly plan. Oh, we've got a, my favorite part of the whole letter is the, the sign-off. Her sign-off is, kisses and more, Courtney. <laughs> like, ooh. That's, oh, yeah. Like, that's just as racy as you dare to be at that age. Like, oh. Yeah, the letter does go on another page and a half. It's a long letter. And she's like, Nolan, if only you were here. And, like, Elizabeth and Todd are a match set of, like, loser do-gooders that think they're so great. <laughs> and that is kind of the crux of the problem. Like, this, so there are a lot of dramas that are happening in this book. Um, I think that, well, let's just stop and say, I think this is a pretty great book. I don't know what you it's, thought of it. it. I actually enjoyed reading it. Yeah, I have to agree. I have to agree. I found this book to be a delight. I, you know, one thing um, that's kind of special about this particular book for me in this project is that this is the 
only book we've talked about so far that I had never read before. I never read this one when I was doing my blog. I was going to have somebody else do a review of it. And I like gave him the book. And this is like back in, in uh, like 2007 or something like for sweetvalleydiaries.net. So most of these books I read before like 10 years ago, but this one, this is my first time. And they, you know, they are in a new situation and a new place. And they're all these really complicated relationship dynamics, or just like everybody has a beef with everybody else, or like some kind of they're in love with him, or they're, they hate him, or they're scheming against her or right, there's a lot going on, right? It's not just, uh, it's not just one, one main conflict driving the whole story, right? Each, right. right, each five pages, you switch to a different conflict, and then back to another one, yeah, and like to another one. Any given chapter yeah. has like a bunch of different sections just like we were just saying it skips to this letter out of nowhere but also i think maybe just having the book be longer lets you really get into the story a little more yes very true um but let's i mean maybe we should continue talking about the elizabeth and todd situation because that really is kind of the core of the story yes let's let's do that so so essentially um along the the course of the book courtney um confides in todd more and more about the terrible things that her father supposedly does. He, he's apparently a terrible alcoholic and it causes her all sorts of uh, trauma. And like, she's in this terrible living condition, according to Courtney. And so through the course of the book, um, she spreads these rumors through Todd. And then he passes that information along um, into the rumor mill, not, you know, not trying to, not trying to make her look bad, but just so people will understand where she's coming from. Yeah. And And she like weaves this web. He has this whole attitude of like, Courtney, she really needs help. She doesn't know anybody here. Like I'm going to help her out. And Elizabeth sees that Courtney is like falling all over Todd and is jealous because Elizabeth always jumps straight to this jealous place. This is something we've seen time and time again with them. But you know, like they talk through it a few times. Todd's like, you know, I only love you. I'm just trying to be nice. Like, try to be more open-hearted and think about things from Courtney's perspective. And Liz tries to do that. Of course, Jessica, meanwhile, is like, are you see what that bitch Courtney is doing with your man Todd? Like, Todd's a bastard, you know? She's, like, poisoning the well a little bit. But, um, you know, Elizabeth, for the most part, is forgiving Todd. And there are several altercations. But here's what I thought, Alex. Mm-hmm. So um, listeners will not be aware, unless they know us for some reason, uh, that you and I, back in high school, did a lot of plays together. That was one of our many extracurricular things that we both did. That's true. Speech and debate, show choir, plays. Um, So I thought maybe we could have a little dramatic experiment. Okay. Okay. I'm on board. Okay. So... On page 108, we have this fight. Do you want to? So I thought maybe we yeah. could act out the fight. You know, I'll be Liz. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm into it. Um, listeners, be aware. Even though I was in several plays in high school, I was always in small parts because I am a terrible actor. So oh. please forgive me. Well, listeners, I was also always in small parts, but I was always told it was because they needed someone with real comic chops to be. <laughs> like I was literally told that every time, and I don't know. Yeah, I think I think we talked about this. Yes, yeah, so we were told the same thing, right? Like I, I, I gave you the the role of Wino number one because I felt like only you could pull it off. I just just wanted to be the star that was all i wanted was it too much <laughs> didn't i earn this didn't like come on come on just mr Zach. <laughs> just give give it to me listeners you be the judge 
Am I just anyway. a, a comedic bit character, or do I deserve the lead role? <laughs> All right, so so reading reading the dramatic dialogue from page 108, I will be playing the role of Todd, and Marissa will be Elizabeth. It's true, Liz. The horror stories Courtney told me about when she was growing up, I wouldn't wish any of them on my worst enemy. And of course, Mr. Thomas doesn't really care if Courtney has fun on this trip. He just wants to get her out of his hair so he can hit the bottle whenever he feels like it. Todd, I just don't see how a man in a position like his could keep such a big drinking problem secret. You saw for yourself what a busy schedule he has. Always rushing off to meet some big star or other, the phone ringing constantly. And you mean to say that not one of the people he does business with is onto him? That his problem doesn't show in his work? Liz, are, are you implying that Courtney is a liar? Maybe she was right about you. She said she she didn't think you liked her, but I told her just give Liz time. She's the friendliest, most sympathetic, big-hearted person, my Liz. Yet, all along, Courtney saw a side of you that I never realized was there. I like to think I am sympathetic and big-hearted. But when someone's trying to take my boyfriend away from me, that's where I draw the line. Liz, why don't you believe me when I tell you that nobody's trying to take me away from you? The only thing that's going to get in the way of our relationship is if the sweet, wonderful girl I fell in love with has turned into someone who's uncompassionate and spiteful. Do you really think that's what I've become? I don't know. All I do know is that Courtney wants so much to be your friend. Todd, I really can't figure out what to make of this new story about Courtney's father. If it's true, then there are plenty of reasons to feel sorry for her. But if it's not, then she's even lower than I'd ever have guessed, spreading rumors about her own father for God knows what reason. But whatever the case, one thing's for sure. Courtney's more interested in making friends with you than with anyone else. Maybe she's been telling you that she'd like to get to know me, but I'll bet the truth is that she wouldn't mind in the least if I rode my bicycle right off the edge of the cliff. So, you've been taking behavior lessons from your sister. And just what is that supposed to mean, Todd Wilkins? It means that your mean, self-pitying comment sounds exactly like something Jessica would say. Is that so? And just where do you get off attacking my sister like that? With the shoe Courtney put on back when we first met her, she makes Jessica look like the Good Samaritan. <laughs> I hadn't realized this argument was so amusing. Liz, Liz, I'm sorry, but but I had this image of Jessica stopping her bicycle in the middle of some out-of-the-way mountain road uh, to help an old man across the street. <laughs> The noble Jessica zooming along on her trusty bicycle, racing to the aid of people everywhere. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. It's, it's super, super jazz. <laughs> Sister of none other than Super Liz. Super Liz. The girl I love. I really do. And you don't think I'm, I'm uncompassionate and spiteful? No, Liz, I apologize. I don't know how I could have said that about you. Look, I don't want to fight anymore, so let's just drop the subject of Courtney, okay? The last thing I want is for her to get between us, her, or anyone else for that matter. And scene. (laughs) (laughs) And I kiss back. So, um, So first of all, is uncompassionate a word? 
uncompassionate. It just felt clunky. I don't know. I think it is. We'll have to we'll have to fact check that. I feel like that was really good, Alex. Like good job. <laughs> really good. Hollywood, here I am. There you go. And yeah. Alex is in Chicago. I'm in Chicago, but <laughs> I can I can come out to Hollywood at a moment's notice. Yeah. Just send me a check and I'm there. I was totally faked out by this scene. I really thought that this was going to be when they break up. But instead, they laugh over Jessica, and it's like, okay, everything's fine. And it stays fine for a while, and then it just gets even worse. I mean, I know we were spending a lot of time talking about Jessica, about Elizabeth and Todd here, but... It's, right, it's, it's the crux of the book. And really, I mean, you know, within the context of the, the larger story of the whole series, right, this, I feel like this is an important conflict. And I, I know yeah. that you have a, a place in your heart for these two, Marissa, but I have to say, I, I think Todd is a, a jerk. Like, I, I don't like him. I, you know, he, he professes his love for this woman and how great she is. And just when she is sort of questioning or maybe even <gasps> sort of not liking one person, that he's just willing to throw it all away um, and, and he falls under Courtney's spell. Like this to me is not uh, loyalty or true love. Yeah. You can't see me shaking my head right now, but damn, I was so mad at Todd in this book. Usually I'm frustrated with Elizabeth for being irrationally jealous and not just bringing her problems to Todd. But she, in this book, she is right all along mm-hmm. the way. And what finally ends up happening. So fast forward to they're in Lompoc at a greenhouse because they like this book is basically a road movie so they go to a bunch of different places and one of them california which elizabeth wants to stop at because of the beautiful flower fields and they stay in some old lady's greenhouse and todd and the liz are getting all cozy and then in the middle of the night liz wakes up she hears a little crying and it's it's courtney she figures out and she looks over in the direction of courtney and she sees courtney's hand intertwined with another hand from another sleeping bag and of course, it's Todd. Yeah. Like, she sees Todd comforting her, and she's like, okay. But then she just sits silently, and she watches, and, like, she's trying to be cool with it. Like, she's really trying to just be cool with it. And she then, does everything a reasonable person could, could be expected like to do. beyond get. reasonable. And then finally, she sees that they've fallen asleep with their hands intertwined. And she... Oh, God, it's so tragic. I so felt for Liz. The, what it, the book is like... Liz woke up when she heard Courtney crying and Todd was there to comfort her, but nobody heard Liz crying into her pillow. Like as she like muffled her sobs, it was just like, right. yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like, even if Todd is trying to be nice to Courtney the whole time, his, his intentions are good. He is completely insensitive to the emotional needs of his actual girlfriend. He, when she's obviously upset, he is deprioritizing her relative to this other random girl that he just met a, a month ago. Yeah. And Courtney is like kind of taking the long game here, but like after this, uh, they have a fight. Like Liz, Todd can tell Liz is mad. He's like, it's still not this Courtney shit, is it? And Liz is like, I saw you guys holding hands. And Liz is so, he's still like, he's still unrepentant. He was like, I was trying to comfort her. And she's like, what about me? And like, how would you feel if I had my hands intertwined with Ken Matthews? And he, she's so right. I think she right, exactly. And right. holding hands at, at this age, like this is serious business. Like at, at being confronted at holding hands, like he should have like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even realize, but you're right, Liz. Like I've gone too far. Like this yeah. is the, the teenage equivalent of like uh, a wife walking in on her husband, like banging another chick Especially and him being like, 
Like what? Like I'm just, she needed to be comforted. Like I'm especially, not cheating on you. Especially between Liz and Todd because they're, I mean, back in book two, Todd is basically like, oh, but there aren't too many rumors swirling around about us because we just kiss and hold hands. Like, you know, <laughs> good enough for me or that's, not, I don't know, that's a conversation that they've had in the series about how they, right. they don't really go much further than that. So yeah. anyway, Todd and Liz actually like break up and then um, I guess we can fast forward to the end. Sure, sure. It's kind of crazy. Like, Courtney is basically, like, she's ready for her endgame. Courtney's endgame. She she lures Todd out of his tent late at night, and she flicks a cigarette away because she's, like, dark and, you know, a rebellious teenager, and that shows that side. And she, like, uh, tells Todd this story that she has to go home um, because she's so worried about Daddy, and she needs Todd to go with her because she can't, she can't uh, be there alone. It just wouldn't be safe or she wouldn't feel safe. And, and he agrees to Todd go with her. It's like, yeah, okay. I get it. Of course. And then right. they kiss. Like, oh my God, they kiss. And she's been smoking. He doesn't even say anything about it. <laughs> everyone, everyone smoked back then. Like that was to, to smell like smoke was like made the kiss sexier. This was right. the eighties. But, the but thing- I'll, I, I'm rooting. I'm rooting for them to get together. I was glad they kissed because at this point in the book, I'm, I'm done with Todd. I'm freaking down with him. So I'm like, yes, you two get together. Get away from Elizabeth. She deserves better. But to me, I'm just thinking, Todd, you idiot. You poor, dumb, beautiful idiot. Like, don't you see that this is proof that this was her game all along? Like, if she was really just trying to be friends with you and she wasn't trying to, like, get with you, then she wouldn't be kissing you. And, you know, she's... It's like he should be like, oh, Liz was right to be jealous, but he doesn't have that thought. Instead, he just kisses her back. I mean, she kisses him and he doesn't pull away. But like, and anyway, um, Courtney has waited to come out and like call Todd and smoke the cigarette until she sees Liz, uh, who's, who's on fire duty that night, like extinguish the campfire. And, but then like right after they're all ready to go, uh, somebody's like, fire, fire. There's a fire in the woods in, in Big Sur. There's like, a, it was just a real threat and everybody's scared and it's like it's all hands on deck they don't know if they're gonna live or die (laughs) (laughs) it was like and so everybody's trying to like make a blockade to keep the fire from spreading and i mean like spoiler alert they all survive but elizabeth uh is like i remember on that first day when they did training for us they told us that if we failed at our fire duty like we would have to go home this fire is my fault like i thought i extinguished the flames but i guess i didn't and so she's gonna go but of course you savvy listeners have already figured out that it wasn't elizabeth's failure to extinguish the fire that night before which started the the huge blaze it was actually of course (gasps) courtney's stray cigarettes Yes, and Todd puts it together when he sees that Elizabeth taking the taking the fall for it. And Courtney, when Todd is like, "Oh no, that was Courtney's cigarette." Courtney's like, "Todd, what are you talking about? That's not true." And it's like Todd finally figures out that Courtney is the lying. Bit. Right, and this infuriates me even more. After everything that's happened in this book, every time your girlfriend has cried and pleaded with you, the thing that finally turns things around isn't this this other outside girl holding your hand or smooching you. It's just the fact that you remember she flicked a cigarette away. Like, yeah. and then magically, all of a sudden, his eyes are opened and he sees the light, and he realizes what a fool he's been and he apologizes to elizabeth and she is a fool for taking him back well they like have a happy makeup and he's like oh he does apologize and she's like it was all just a big misunderstanding like you were just trying to be a nice guy 
And it's like, that's true, but damn. I, 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 he doesn't even really have it out with Courtney. Like, he doesn't even have a big scene where he, like, yells at her for manipulating him, you know? Like, I trusted you, and you were just, just you know, pulled the wool over my eyes. I was such a fool, you know? Right. Ugh, Todd. Yeah, he's the worst. Oh, I hate this book now. <laughs> I knew you. I kind of knew you would. I kind of knew. I had heard you speaking like positively about this couple. And as I was reading it and you hadn't started reading it yet, I was like, oh, Marissa. Well, it's hard not to hate Todd in this book because I am such an Elizabeth. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, can't you see me in the campsite muffling my tears? <laughs> 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 oh, oh, Marissa, I can. That's oh, that makes me sad to think about. I'm sorry. Oh. I wouldn't want to wake anybody, you know. <laughs> so um, let's all back up a, a step because there's another super awesome dramatic thing that happens, and I think that in order to talk about it, we need to go to the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. The beautiful boys, the beautiful boys. <laughs> Yay. Um, thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Jocelyn. So um, there are a couple of boys in this book that uh, are new to this book. And one of them is the boy that uh, Jessica is hoping will be her Prince Charming when the book starts. We mentioned him earlier. His name is Barry Cooper. Chrome Dome's nephew and he gets a mean nickname in this book. Did you notice that? Uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of mean energy directed in his yeah. direction. So Barry gets a nickname, Bionic Barry, which doesn't even make sense. Like, it's not even good. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I think it's supposed to be ironic because he's so slow that he's like, can't possibly be bionic i don't know but he's he's like always lagging behind them he's kind of fat he's really clumsy he has glasses and this book is so mean to him like and of course he has a crush on jessica because he's a masochist (laughs) yeah and i feel like the book the book tries to walk a tight line a tightrope between the idea of like oh everyone else is being so mean to him because he's fat but the book doesn't really apologize for making fun of his weight. Like the, no. you can tell that the book is just kind of generally degrading and mean. I felt a the bit same way. Well. The book is very cruel to him. Um, and I was really hoping, well, one of the ways in which it's cruel is that it doesn't give him a voice. Like everybody in the book is always talking about him, about. Oh, very true. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We never really get inside his no, head. Even Elizabeth writes home about how like, oh, like we're waiting for everybody to catch up. And by everybody, I guess I mean Barry. I'm like, she's not trying to be mean, but like she can't help herself. He's that kind of a loser where he just like engenders this kind of disdain from even a nice person. Um, but finally I was gratified that at least Barry gets like a happy ending. Like at least he, he fi- does finally get his moment. Right. Eventually and he's the moment. one to diffuse the most crazy situation in any book of all time. <laughs> so <laughs> to get to that, we need to talk about the boy that Jessica really falls in love with. Oh yes. <laughs> and I laughed and- out loud in public reading this book. I got <laughs> when you saw this name, mm-hmm, she's yeah. She sees this beautiful boy, chestnut hair, and he's so sexy build, and like, oh, he's he looks like you know he's a dreamboat. And she asks somebody, this is at a like a youth hostel kind of a thing where they're stopped for the night. She asks somebody like, hey, do you know who that is? 
And they say, that's Robbie, Robbie October. October. Robbie October. He's like, Ooh. it's like, yeah. he should be on Boy Meets World. It's like, right, Rob, <laughs> Robbie October. I feel like he, right. He's, he, he's from like Dallas. Like he's some, <laughs> some evil masterminds nephew the show or something Dallas like that. Or the city Dallas. The show Dallas. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Again, cause we're eighties themed, you know, eighties. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Robbie October is we learn about him that he's like a real bad boy. Like he's super wild. And Jessica is so into this because she thinks of herself. As she thinks wild. that she's wild. Yes, she's exactly. Yes. Jessica is not wild, but she no. thinks that she's wild. Exactly. And so she is, she actually becomes kind of obsessed with Robbie October because she like tries to go on a date with him, but it would mean shirking her responsibilities for cooking and like getting in trouble. And, um this actually this she has this cooking scene with bruce patman where she it actually foreshadows some like cooking in jessica's future which i think is kind of fun Uh, (laughs) and uh also she and bruce patman of course have something cooking uh, as always well it's funny like um jessica and bruce allude to the fact that they were that they were had an uh, they were an item like earlier on and they like have some like little spats between the, the two of them. But weirdly enough, like Lila Fowler and Roger, uh, nay Roger Barrett, um, are also both on this trip and they never talk about the fact that Roger was super in love with Lila, like just a few books ago. So I don't know, <laughs> like it never comes up. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like that's how, you know, young romances are, right? Some, some last forever and linger and some like, yeah. you know, are, are over as quickly yeah. as they begin. Maybe it's because Roger's girlfriend, Olivia Davidson's on the trip too. But anyway, so. There you go. But, been- well, but I, I just want to point this out because I am, I am pulling for like, I am shipping Bruce and <laughs> Jessica. Like I think that, <laughs> two of them like belong together and this scene with the kitchen like the playing back and forth like they yeah they're perfect for each other. I definitely deserve each other well so she's hoping that as the bike trip up the coast goes on that they'll run into Robbie October again because he's also biking up the coast and somebody that she meets suggests that that might be the case so she's like obsessing on him like she's gonna only get so many chances before she strikes out with him and she meets him again they play frisbee and then finally she sees him again in Big Sur and that's when she she like agrees to go on a sort of scandalous late night midnight hike into the woods to see a beautiful waterfall. She's going to have to sneak out of her tent. Um, she, she and Lila are having a fight because Lila decides she likes Courtney now. So she has to make up with Lila so they can be in the same tent again so that Lila won't tell on her when she sneaks away. <laughs> And it's it's that much more like romantic and exciting because it's so scandalous and sneaky. So then the next morning, Lila wakes up. Jessica's still gone, and like she waits a while. Jessica's still gone. Finally, they're all everybody's packing up, getting ready to go, and like Jessica's missing. And Lila's like, I think she went to meet that boy last night and never came back. (laughs) Which is a problem. They're like out in the wilderness. Like Jessica wanted to get wild. Well, now she's really wild. (laughs) <laughs> yes very true literally wild and uh yeah and people panic about this uh you know in classic classic uh, chaperone style like everything's fine or it should be fine in the real world even though it doesn't end up being fine in this situation like everyone panics and they send out search parties like really like she's probably just she'll she'll be fine she'll be back but uh, of, of course the book knows that she won't be fine and she won't be back without some help yeah, so there's some more Courtney drama. This because uh, Courtney and Todd 
have to go with Elizabeth and... So we find Jess and Robbie October trapped in the back of a cave behind a mama bear protecting her cubs. <laughs> because of course we do. Of course that's the mess that these, these kids find themselves in. They went into a cave in the nighttime because it started raining. And uh-oh, there were baby bears in the cave, black bears. And uh-oh, the mom is mad and now she won't leave the cave and they can't sneak away because the bear will see them and kill them. <laughs> and the, the bear actually sees them, but somehow like they're in a place where the bear is not going to come get them, but it just like stays and kind of growls and scratches in their direction, but doesn't come, come get them. Like it's, ugh, it's, it's ridiculous. Like yeah. if and this Robbie- were a, a TV series, this, this scene would be where it was jumping the shark. <laughs> and Robbie uh, is, is um like telling Jessica don't make a peep like eventually they'll get by they had a terrible night um you know Robbie was getting fresh with her even after they were having a terrible time Jessica brings it up to Lila later and Lila's like yeah but isn't that kind of what you had in mind when you went out with him (laughs) yes of course right like they they get lost in the woods and uh, somehow this is a bad outcome for Jessica like this is the perfect outcome from what you wanted I was this just is exactly what you want with your dreamboat. Like, I looked uh, her out on it because it's like you can't set yourself up for these situations and then be mad that they happen. But I guess she's right, exactly. mad about the bear. <laughs> I suppose it's the same thing that happened in book one, where she goes out to the bar with this guy who's older than her, and oh all of a God. sudden she realizes she's not in for it anymore. Uh, you're just making and me so she needs happy to get herself right out. <laughs> so it is exactly it's exactly the same situation and um oh, jessica never learns uh it's actually kind of important for the series that jessica never learns i guess <laughs> right i guess we're right if she learned then there would be no no drama in the next book so but, so guess who saves the day it, of course it's barry yeah barry's but barry's the one who ends up hearing her call and he knows that like black bears are like not aggressive or something it's like they they will defend their young, but like they don't attack people or something like that. I don't know. And right, it's but, his random knowledge of yeah. specifically of black bears but somehow he has saves the, the like, day. Baiting the bear and getting the bear to chase him, like, and then Elizabeth or not? Sorry, I'm mean Jessica and Robbie like sneak out of the cave and and like he like barely escapes with his life, but Jessica's safe, so Barry is the hero. Right, and let's let's take a, a quick sidestep for the listeners. If you're ever in this situation, somehow you get trapped in a in a cave by bears, or you're trying to rescue your friends who are trapped in a cave. Do not attempt to outrun a bear. You cannot outrun a bear. The bear will catch you. Bears can run at like thirty or forty miles an hour. Like oh, it's going to be on you. I remember what so actually fast. what happened was that one of the cubs. It wasn't that the that Barry outran the bear. It was that one of the cubs started crying. So it was just lucky. Well, <laughs> Right, like I guess. Okay. Like, like Barry's luck that the cubs cried and the mom, mama bear got distracted. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, so Barry saves the day. And uh, Courtney gets kicked out of camp, and Elizabeth and Todd are back together, and everybody goes home. And Liz chats with Enid about how she spends the summer working at Casey's Ice Cream Parlor. <laughs> So I think it might be a good time for me to ask a very important question of you. And that okay. is, after reading this book, 
do you think that you are a Jessica or an Elizabeth? So that's a great question. I, I think that when I was younger, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that the, there's definitely shades of both, which is a cop out answer. Um, but I think I identify more with Jessica, mm-hmm. um, which is a little surprising to me to say, but I, I think at the end of the day, like she's, she's more like perhaps, I don't know, more upfront, more take charge, like trying to be in the center of attention. And that that's me to a T. So even if Elizabeth, you know, in some ways, you know, maybe sometimes I am a little unsure of myself because I think we all are. Um, I think at the end of the day, I'm more of a Jessica. Well, and you uh, think you're so wild, but you're really not. It's definitely true. <laughs> definitely true. Yes. Um, and, and I'm always, I'm always, um, you know, out, out chasing, you know, out chasing people. So I, I get that too. The Octobers of the world. Exactly. That's exactly it. Uh, the lady, lady Octobers. The lady Octobers. Well, yes. October could be a girl's name too. That's <laughs> true. Um, Ooh, it would be, yes. Ooh, she sounds, she sounds sexy. Ooh. <laughs> uh, well, were there any other characters that you particularly related to? Like getting beyond the Jessica and Elizabeth? Ooh, other characters that are related to. That's interesting. Um, I don't think so. Nothing, nothing that sticks out. We haven't nothing really talked about Charlie Marcus in this book, and I don't think <laughs> you do, but you're a little bit of a Charlie Marcus. Okay, you know? I don't, I don't remember enough like, of Charlie Marcus. He was, like, to try, agree he was like really trying to be friends with and defend um, the reputation of Annie Whitman, but in doing so, he was able to kind of like get with a girl that he knows is a little bit easy. Um, oh, for like, sure. He was like using his good guy qualities like for good, but like it was going to benefit him probably in the long run. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely me. I mean, I, uh, right. I pride myself on being a good guy, but it's really all just an act so that people will like me better. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. We're on the same page and uh, it's glad to, uh, I'm glad to hear that you know me. I do. I do. Um, so normally this would be where I end the episode, but we cannot end this episode without talking about um, a little lady by the name of Beth Curtis. Oh, Yes. I say, oh, yes, but I don't actually remember who that is. Well, that's fine. Listen, <laughs> Beth Curtis is because the name Beth Curtis has never come up before. Um, so what people may recall, though, is that there is a French teacher named Miss Dalton. Miss Dalton <laughs> oh, yes. uh, was in a relationship with uh, Mr. Collins. Um, and, uh, oh, pause for, like, Collins Watch 2018 since we are – always looking at what's going on with Mr. Collins. Um, there's a lot of Mr. Collins being sexy in this book. So um, one of, it's mostly all very kosher. But at one point in the book, we learn that uh, Mr. Collins is always regaling his students back at school with his, tales of his wild frat party days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which seemed like an inappropriate thing for him to be yeah. discussing with his his high school students. Yeah, and he he also uh, randomly wins uh, the weekly town dune buggy race in some town that they happen through because, again, of course he does. But but it's okay because his boyish enthusiasm, as he told his tales, made it easy to picture him as an adventurous man about campus. <laughs> Um, so anyway, but that was, a, that's an aside. I think maybe, uh, Collins watch can be a new segment in season two of Sweet Valley. <laughs> Collins watch. Do, 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 do. 
Very nice. Thank you. So, uh, but yeah, so Nora Dalton, though, has been dating Lila Fowler's dad, which I am not crazy about. And Lila hates because she's super jealous of her father and uh, she already doesn't get enough of her father's attention, blah, blah, blah. So, and also, it's just kind of creepy. I mean, he's, I he's old enough to be her father. Yeah, it is creepy. And he, they don't seem like a good match. It's all weird. Well, so Lila has it in for Miss Dalton. Um, and then she finds out that uh, some kids that she meets at a hostel are like, oh, I thought I saw this teacher who used to teach in our school. Her name was Beth Curtis. And rather than just being like, oh, well, those two people probably look alike, Lila's like, Beth Curtis, like how long ago did she leave town? And he's like, oh, she left without warning, like a year and a half ago. And Lila's like, that's when Miss Dalton came to Sweet Valley. And then she's like, what subject did she teach? And they're like, she taught French. And Lila's like, gets goosebumps. She's like so excited. And I thought this was going to be a red herring. Like, oh, Lila thinks she's got this dirt on (laughs) Dalton secretly being from Arizona and named Beth Curtis. Right. Then Lila confronts Miss Dalton, and Miss Dalton is like, uh, uh, uh. Like, white as a ghost, uh. yeah. And I was like, are you serious, book? And (laughs) the book was serious. (laughs) Nora Dalton used to be Beth Curtis, and do you remember what happened? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I the the drama's a little. It, it even even though this is fictitious, it feels a little insensitive for me to be talking about it openly. But um, apparently, Beth Curtis was married to some fellow up the coast, and the like. The, the no, man it was, was in tra- Arizona. It was in Arizona. Oh, in Arizona. In Arizona. Okay, and like the the man was troubled, and was he an alcoholic? Is that? Uh, he, or he abusive. Was dep- he was de- really depressed. I think. Oh, super depressed. Yes. Depressed he and was... also an alcoholic, and also his family was very rich and powerful. Yes, yes, all the things, all the things, and so he, she eventually she tries to like help him and be a supportive wife, but she is unable to like um, be everything that he that he needs to get through all his personal issues. And she eventually like leaves him. Oh, and well, he then, starts beating her up. I think actually, like he. Hit yeah, her. I think there is some abuse it's there. I think you're right. Everything terrible, and then yes, all the terrible things. And then the icing on the terribleness cake is that the man commits suicide at right after she leaves him, and his parents like tell the media or whatever like that it was her fault. Like they they spread right. this rumor that it's like he was distraught over Beth leaving him, and it's they're gonna like ruin her if she ever comes forward with the truth that he was depressed and and beat her and was a bad was not a bad was a bad husband right oh it's, i know what you mean it's terrible to talk about and right but <laughs> think about lila lording this over this <laughs> right extra terrible although lila doesn't have the full backstory all she knows she knows the the salacious details of you know she skipped out of town and like is under an assumed name and like let's be nice to lila she's like if my dad ever found out and but but miss stalton is afraid that that george fowler will find out because george also knows the curtises because they're rich Mm. people and all rich people know each other so um, right uh that's actually probably true right well, uh, to a certain extent, I'm, uh, they probably all at least know of each other. They're like all one percenters. So, then, like, <laughs> right? They have like a, a yearbook yeah. that they read. They like look up like, oh, who was? Yeah. Oh, Beth Curtis. Oh, she was married to yeah. the Fowler chap. Oh, like, yeah. Who's who in of new money? Right. Exactly. Um. So 
But finally, Miss Dalton has to tell Roger Collins, not Roger Patman about this. There's two Rogers in this book. Come up with another first name, Francine. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, two, Roger uh, Collins, Mr. Collins. Um, she tells him what really happened. And Mr. Collins is like, oh, Nora, I, I always loved you. And you can't stay with that terrible man. And you, you can't let the story follow you forever. And like she, he makes Miss Dalton tell the kids or like encourages her to tell the kids this, about what happened. It's right. Which is kind of like personal and ghastly. Like I, it doesn't seem the, like the, the way that I would solve the problem. We don't see the scene. So maybe he just, maybe she just tells them that she had a different name in Arizona and some bad stuff happened and she got away. And I guess, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. But then that never comes up again. <laughs> this is why I was so shocked because I've read through like, oh, all the 50, other books and it's never right. I've never read been an issue books of this series. And I <laughs> have never heard of Beth Curtis. <laughs> like surely a mention at some point would have made sense. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'll see it now as we keep going. And I, I just didn't right. know. like when you learn a new word and you're like, Oh, now I keep seeing the yeah, word okay. Zaftig everywhere, you know? <laughs> yeah what, what does that mean it's like a kind of nice like rubenesque it's like like rubenesque does that mean anything okay like sort of uh, nope nope oh it means rubenesque fat. literally means nothing to me okay either. so both of those words are nice words for fat that have like a like a touch of like pleasantness to them okay okay usually typically they'd be used to describe women okay i would say i could be wrong about that but all right i could it. use it i could use the words after to describe myself i think Okay. Okay. Is there anything else about the book you want to talk about? Um, let me see. Let me look through my notes to see if we kind of cover it. I think we covered most of the stuff. Oh, I did want to also mention, I really, another scene that I really enjoyed the scene where Jessica and Lila make up, um, toward the end of the book where like, they're like both like genuinely like kind of apologetic, but also kind of like fun, you know, they uh, teenagers also, they kind of flirt with each other a little bit which i was yeah i thought it's was playful sweet. jessica's like i want to i want to be alone with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah like this is just kind of fun and playful and they have like a scene they like bargain because lila's got juicy gossip about um the french teacher and yeah. like uh jessica wants to know so they like make deals so like someone will do someone else's chores so oh, that yeah. they can hear the gossip yeah and like i just think like that's so fun duty for a week yeah right exactly it's great they i i just want to point out uh on like another segment that we might as well have on the show that's like seafood watch uh <laughs> <laughs> they, like they eat so much seafood and i know it's the california coast but some of it's weird like they're within two pages they're talking about paella and then they're talking about lobster claws <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did not notice the seafood dishes at all. So <laughs> they go out to a really nice meal in Santa Barbara, which is one of their nicer stops. And the meal they have, they all share paella. So. <laughs> and then well, Jessica writes to writes a letter to Kara Walker, where she says that that idiot Barry Cooper uh, 
like pinched his fingers in a lobster claw or something. It's it's all. <laughs> oh yes, of course. It's another way to be mean and make fun of poor Barry. Poor Barry. Like we have to remind ourselves every ten pages that he is like he's a klutz and well, he does. And in this letter to Kara, she calls out some other poor kid named Theo. She's like, he's just like that kid Theo. Remember from our math class? Like he wore plaid pants. Like <laughs> but then we don't even know who Theo is. So it's just like piling on for nerds right and i did kind of feel like this in, in many ways the this book especially at the beginning of it since i'm not as familiar with the characters that it really resembles like me trying to have a conversation with like the teenage daughter of some of my friends because it's just like rattling off names fast and furious and like oh and sally and blah, 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 and judy <laughs> does this with timmy and oh don't even get me started on theo and like you just I can't even like follow it because the names are coming so fast. <laughs> well, I can, I definitely can understand that. I think almost every guest I have on the show, there's a, a little bit of that um, happening. Um, I like your metaphor though, that you're the, like you're talking to like somebody's teenage daughter. Um, <laughs> well, I'm happy to be the translator on that. And I'm ha- like, <laughs> I, sometimes I feel like I need to fill in like, no, that's not just you. Like nobody that read this book knew who Theo was. I've never heard <laughs> Mark right. before. Barry Cooper didn't exist. Courtney's new, uh, Ronnie, I mean, Robbie October is new. So. <laughs> right, right. Um, the, and the other thing that I wanted to comment on, um, I, <laughs> I know this has been a topic of discussion on this podcast uh, before that, you know, every time certain people are, are brought up that they're, you know, we're reminded once again that they're like attractive or beautiful or handsome. Um, but I, I in particularly wanted to add that I found them to be described as beautiful or attractive and from a very um like from a an adolescent girl's perspective right like none of the descriptions are such that they would you know be attractive or interesting for to uh to a man like i think it's more of the perspective of someone who's like um seeing the world um and like evaluating and comparing themselves to every person and like, Oh, that person's beautiful. And I'm not as beautiful or that person's so handsome relative to me. Well, that's definitely an adolescent girl's perspective. I mean, I think when Elizabeth looks at Courtney and this happens a lot with Elizabeth in this context, when she's jealous of girls, she's like forgets about her own beauty and just sees how glamorous other girls are. Yes, Uh, absolutely. I thought you were going to mention Annie Whitman, who we haven't talked about much, but it's the same old, same old with Annie Whitman. It's such a one, note thing she had a bad reputation she hasn't fully gotten over it even though she's changed the book engages in a little low-level slut shaming uh like from a narrative perspective but like at one point elizabeth is thinking about annie and she thinks about annie as her beautiful friend it's like, <laughs> right okay <laughs> Weird. I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> right. Yes. It, right. It's very, right. It's a very strange and it's a unique perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, as a side note, Elizabeth, Olivia Davidson is not described as frizzy haired in this book, which is a really significant because biking fucking 400 miles up the coast of California, uh, like with the ocean breeze <laughs> in her hair, I would think her, the frizziness of her hair would be really going crazy. Yeah, I I did not know that she had frizzy hair. You're right. Didn't know. And um, now you know. Well, let that be a lesson to you, authors of the world. If you don't constantly remind me of the physical attributes of all of your characters, then I'll forget about them. 
and I'll imagine them wrong. Well, maybe we can close out um, the show. I, this uh, super edition of our podcast, I think. Super uh, edition. I think it's going to be super sized, much like this book was super sized. And I love that because, you know, it's a little gift uh, to you listeners in between seasons. I hope you enjoy it. But uh, can you, like, if I asked you, like, what color was Lila's hair? Like, you know what color Lila's hair is? Uh, I would have guessed black, actually. Okay. I don't know if it's like a brown, like a mousy brown, but black is pretty good. And, and the Wakefield twins, you got to know. Right. They're blonde, of course. And their eyes? They're on the cover, The and their eyes must be blue. Blue, aqua, I also would have accepted. Um, okay. <laughs> what, about, what about Todd Wilkins? Ooh, um, I imagine him as kind of like a... Uh oh I well, I've seen another cover where his hair is brown so I already know that it's like a chestnut. Chestnut brown that's ding 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 that's exactly right. His eyes? <laughs> uh not a clue. I, um, brown. I, I would only accept coffee colored as the color. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I was, But brown is technically okay. correct. <laughs> and his skin bronze. Um perfect. Oh okay. White. Gotcha. It's white. They're all white. Everybody's white. <laughs> right. Stay tuned for like 50 more books from now when people finally stop being everybody white. Uh Ooh. so yeah, it's it's not great. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well just I mean it's <laughs> Well, great. that's at least that's what the characters in the book think. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Oh, a, yeah. Anyway, hold hold on to your butts, everybody. seriously though season two will be starting later this summer and everything that happens is such a roller coaster the titles of these books are when love dies kidnapped (laughs) um (laughs) i can't think of any others off the top of my head but but right if you thought being chased was by a bear was was a roller coaster of emotions just wait crash landing oh my god i can't wait for crash landing one of my all-time favorites (laughs) Thank you so, so, so much for reading this book, for being my digital guest. It was a genuine pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. I also want to thank Jocelyn Schofield for the use of her song, Beautiful Boys. And I want to thank you all for listening to the show. Thanks for hanging on during the hiatus. Um, Pretty soon we'll be back to our regular schedule. In the meantime, you can follow me uh, at Sweet Valley on Twitter and even better, I like Instagram a lot more than Twitter, so I do more stuff. I put more fun stuff over there, uh, even though it's more work. And I'm at Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram. Or you can email me, sweetvalleydiaries at me.com. That's M-E. If you haven't looked at the blog, it's existed for over a decade. I, ha- I don't post on it too often, but I do keep a record of all the podcast episodes on the blog. And you can read like what I thought about various books 10 years ago when I read them. So that's sweetvalleydiaries.net. <clears throat> ah. Alright. That was really just for your benefit. I don't normally do that. <laughs> Very good. I don't normally do that either, right? No, I don't believe that for a second. Well, not in not not when I'm just you know in normal conversation. I guess I there's nothing that I normally do or normally don't do when I'm on a radio show. I mean, mm, okay. So well, now is your chance to kind of set up whatever like traditions or like rituals that you want. Like this is your chance. Okay. Okay. I'm trying okay. to think back to being on uh, Jan Bergson with the Weekly Report. 
Oh, our high school principal. <laughs> I know we haven't started the show yet, but I'm probably going to put this somewhere in the show. So might as well oh, yeah. clarify for any listeners that Jan Bergeson was our high school principal. I was just <laughs> telling a story about Jan Bergeson yesterday. I was telling the story about 5% Club and how she played I Hope You Dance for us and it projected the lyrics on the screen uh, <laughs> with the overhead projector and like moved a piece of paper down as each new lyric <laughs> came up. Yes, to, uh, to let the drama unfold. Yeah. Yes. Listeners, she was everything that you imagine in a high school principal. She was exactly what you're picturing. Pantsuits. She was in pantsuits years before Hillary. Years. Although Hillary was probably also wearing pantsuits at the time. That's probably true. That's probably true. 